You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible cultures. Today, we sit down with Arnie Malham, an experienced entrepreneur with a culture-first mindset. Arnie has had three successful business exits, has written a best-selling book on culture, and has delivered his sometimes uncomfortable message on leadership to thousands of entrepreneurs. Arnie speaks to us about how he discovered his culture and his values, the importance of having culture champions, and why books and reading are critical to his organization growth. I wanted to talk about where where we first met, and, and actually, I should say where I first saw you because we didn't actually meet. Uh, and I, through Entrepreneurs Organization, uh, I'm involved or have been involved. I've graduated now in a program called EMP. That's at, that that's done through MIT, um, and uh, it's a three year program and it's Entrepreneurs Master Program. And Ernie came in to speak at year one, and when I had entered to year one of this program, which was just phenomenal and instrumental to, to a lot of what I'm doing today because of such phenomenal speakers like Ernie and content. I was at a stuck point where I sold my business and I had two other, actually maybe three other business interests. And I was really stuck with, with the core values and how they were going to uh, overlay those separate companies. You know, was each company going to have their own value? How was I going to police that? And that was really mucky for me. And, and so, Arnie, it was you who were speaking that said, no, I had two businesses, a call center marketing business, and um, they all lived under the same value system because these came from me. And that was like crystal clear. It removed so much fog and we doubled down on that. So I just want to thank you uh, for that. It was awesome. Yeah, man. It, look, uh, wise men learn from their mistakes. Uh, that's me. Wiser men learn from the mistakes of others. That got to be you, right? We we were running companies with two different sets of values, and it was a, it, you know, we just couldn't get any traction. And until we, until I figured that out, until we got the companies uh, uh, aligned with the values that I that I believed in, uh, that's when we started making headway. Yeah, I love that. And so, Arnie, give us, a, you know, for our viewers, just a quick. Um, backdrop on your story, um, if you could. Man, it, you know it's only twenty five years worth, but I'll shump, I'll shove it into a couple of sentences. We we started an ad agency for of all things injury lawyers uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. We served injury lawyers across the the country and and Canada for that matter. Um, and my challenge was recruiting talent into a shop where people sort of said mm, maybe not. And then we opened a call center that that answered phones for injury lawyers across North America. Uh, and again, our, our, you know, trying to figure out how to run a call center on uh, with a, with the most important asset being the, the the teams that answered the phone. So, that my experience that we've employed thousands. I've, I've in the last two years, I've exited both of those companies, but not before making tons of mistakes, doing it wrong on the way to getting it right uh, on, on about a fifteen to twenty year path, depending on the company of growing each of those companies. So, real quick question. I, I you know, I talk a lot about my pivotal moment, it was reading nuts, the book nuts, Southwest airlines that I was like, wow, maybe this isn't BS, you know, maybe there's something here. And that was yeah. my culture aha moment. Do you have one or anywhere you were just kind of moving forward business as usual? And then you're like, Oh my God, this, this is, I need to fix our culture. I need to pivot. What talk to me uh, and talk Ab- to us about that. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I love telling this story uh, because, uh, you know, I want it to happen to as many people as possible. To When entrepreneurs uh, realize uh, what I realized in this moment, I was 
I was listening to John DeJulia, someone you and I both know and respect, a great author, great customer service guru out of Cleveland. Uh, he was, he actually had hired him to speak to our, um, um, uh, clients at a conference and he was speaking and I was there and I was just, just watching the whole thing, you know, complaining about in my mind, all the things that were wrong with my business and my, and my people and my culture. And all of a sudden John said, uh, as part of his routine, he said, culture reflects leadership. And those words hit me so powerfully in that moment, I realized that everything I didn't like about my culture in my company was my fault. And that's the uncomfortable message I have to give to so many entrepreneurs is that if they're living in a culture in their business that they don't think is the, is the most awesome culture, a place where they would want to work, a place where they would expect good things to happen, then it's not the team's fault. It's not their client's fault. It's not the industry's fault. It's not, their, it's not anyone's fault but their own leadership or culture reflects leadership and you my friend are the leader yeah look you're absolutely right uh, and i think that's a tough message for a lot of people but i think it needs to be said and and so keep going what did you do what was so, so at that point it sounds like you were in that bucket of oh my god i'm not happy with the culture but oh yeah. my god it's my fault what was next yeah look, we all become the bosses we left like as an entrepreneur we worked somewhere and we were mad at these the the, the the, the, the industry, or we were mad at the situation or the culture or the boss or the team. And we, and we said, when, when I'm in charge, it's not going to be that way. And then we go out and we build business and we get under stress and we get under financials and, and all the problems that come with entrepreneurship. And we become the bosses we hate. We start telling people what to do. We start drawing up rules for everything. We start creating reasons to not be happy at work and to put our thumb on the team that's supposed to be lifting us uh, to greatness. We become bad bosses because that's what we learned as we were, as we were being brought up as, as team members in this world. And so we have to figure out how to be uh, the boss we wanted, the boss we wouldn't have left, the boss we would have brought, riven through uh, walls for. And, and for me, it came through learning from others. It became uh, seeing great people like Jack Daly speak about the, the, you know, the culture uh, of his world, uh, uh, Cameron Harold, Vern Harnish, uh, the books they read, uh, the books they wrote, the presentations they gave, the experiences they shared of what true cultures can be instead of the ones that end up, uh, in, you know, under a stressful situation. So, so, and tell me more. So when you got to that aha moment, did yeah. you not have values? Were they BS values? Did you say, no, I need to start from scratch. Tell, tell me more. Yeah, it, you know, it was it was uh, the, the the biggest problem that folks can make after realizing they're the problem is they try to make all the changes at once, right? They try to they try to they try to turn the entire ship the, the Titanic around immediately, and it just can't be done. It that can almost make it worse. You start getting mockery uh, in in terms of your values and what you're trying to do instead of motivation. And so, what what I began is a long, long journey of implementing one thing at a time, creating a process for it, creating a checklist for it, getting a champion for it, putting that in place, and then the next quarter, moving to the next one. And, and we found that any program that we put in place, if I gave it two quarters, it would usually gain a third, and then it was off to the races. We also learned that for every program, every four programs I put in place or tried to put in place, one was not going to make it. And it wasn't because it was a bad, it was just not the right something. It didn't quite work. And that's okay too. 
know when to hold them and know when to fold them. And, and, but don't do it all at once. We learned quickly uh, that over time, the turtle wins the race and the right. turtle builds a culture that has substance as opposed to just flavor of the month. Right. And sustainability. Right. And so we'll, we're going to talk more about kind of activation and bring it to life because, and, and we're going to get into, an, I loved your book and onboarding it and hearing you talk and go through your onboarding checklist. I just love it. Change our business. But can you tell me more? What was your journey to create the values, you know, to create yeah. the values that would then become the guidelines for your culture? What, what process did you go through, Ernie? Well, the, the, at first, by the way, we did it like everyone else does and, why, and the way most of the books tell you to do it, which is, which is gather, you know, think about the people who have made the biggest difference in your company and think about the words that describe them and put them on the wall and get a team together and let's vote on the words and the cultures. And then let's start telling stories about that. And that can work, right? It all comes down to, are there stories to back up their values? And, are, are, and do you put in programs that then support those values? For us, we did that. We actually had three different companies that we did that same process for, uh, which, right. which, we ended, which means we ended up with 12, literally 12 different values. We were operating all three companies under one roof. I had my personal core values, which means I had it running around in my head every day, 16 different core values. Yet it's my job and my primary job to, to in managing those companies is to support those values. And it, it, you know, four is tough. 16 is impossible. Right. Right. So, so that's exactly the process we went through and we went through it by the book. One day, my COO, someone who I credit so much with making the noise go away in my companies and making us so much more successful, just ask me the question, Arnie, what are your core values and why? And in that moment, we laid out my core values and I told the stories of why they were my core values. They're all in the book. You can, you can read them exactly like I laid them out to our team. And those stories became the unforgettable moment for my team members. Wow. And those values, right or wrong, I'm not asking anyone on the team to go home and live my values. I'm asking people on the team to make decisions in my company based on my values. And that ensures or certainly get, raises the odds that those, those decisions and those choices and those actions will be aligned with right. the direction of the company and myself. I love that. And so uh, now I understand clearly, you know, you had to go through the pain to give me the advice. So that's great. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, a, you know, it was a circus. It was a circus. Yeah. And then, yeah. and I'm going, look, I'm doing what the book said. I'm doing what the book right. said. Right. And yet my wheels are just spinning because mm -hmm. it's too, and it was, you think it was confusing to me. It's confusing to my team. Right. Right. And so when you, when you got to that place and you were like, okay, it's going, you know, your COO asked you the question, your values and why, yeah. What was, what was ground zero? What was, um, how did you, did you have a town hall with everyone to say, boom, yeah. all three companies, here we go. Walk us through. Yeah. You know, and I, I fought town hall meetings for years in my business. Oh, it's too complicated. We'll never be able to pull it off. We can't, we had a call center. We were 24, seven, 365. We couldn't get everybody in one place. Like I would make up every reason in the world. And John Ratliff, who, you know, you and I know, yeah. you and I know, well, he, he's the, he's the most, uh, the guy who should most write a book who has not written a book yet. I can't wait to right. read, read, read John's at Apple tree answers, what he did in the industry. Uh, I learned so much from him, but he just kept pushing me and pushing me, Arnie, do it, do it, do it. Finally did it. Finally did town hall. And it became the most powerful, one of the most powerful things we did to communicate, be authentic and listen 
uh, both listen and talk to our team members. And so, yeah, we rolled out. We said, hey, we, we stopped the press. I know this is what we've been preaching to date, but this is what we're talking about going forward. And most importantly, let me tell you why, right? It wasn't just this is what we're doing. Let me tell you why. And by the way, when they're your personal core values, the stories now the stories will naturally have emotion and meaning, and you'll say them with authenticity. You won't be right. reading from a prompter. And, right. and those are the stories people remember, right? Not the logical mm-hmm. ones, but the emotional ones. And I would agree. It's it it for those that, that seem to get through, because this is a big pivotal moment for some. And I think some entrepreneurs take that path or leaders, i.e. I'm going to be authentic here, maybe get emotional about some of these because these stories will tug on my, uh, my heartstrings. And then others have kind of said, Hey, HR, you deliver this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, when I say I, 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 HR are the most overworked, underappreciated, um, way too much burden put on these folks underpaid in, in many cases, it is tough to be in HR, but we as CEOs and entrepreneurs, our job is to lead culture. Our job is to create values that, that our teams can follow. Our job is to consistently back up the culture that we want in our companies. It's not HR's job. HR is there to support us. They're not there to run the culture of our company. And, yeah. and there's a huge difference in that. Love that. And so, Ernie, you've had the town hall. It's now time to bring these things to life. We're going to talk about kind of screening and onboarding, which I think are important parts of that process. But what else? What are some of the other things that, you know, because I, I do believe a lot of leaders say, oh my God, where, you know, where do I start? Okay, I got the town hall. What's next? And I love yeah. what you said of just, it's a long game. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a long process. And there's a step-by-step and just do one step at a time. Don't take on too much. Yeah. What are some of the things that, you did next that were helpful that, that, you know, that, uh, that didn't take too much work, effort, et cetera. Talk to us about some of that. One of the things, whether it's a culture-based initiative or, or or something that supports your core values or, or just something you want done in your shop, you can't do it without three things. One is a champion. That's not you. Every program you champion that you personally champion is more likely to fail than any other program. So pick a champion, ideally someone not on leadership, someone at the bottom half of your org chart that has promise and has the ability and has the, a, a bright mind and, and, and not and, and someone different for every program. We spread out our programs amongst multiple stat team members so that each one of them could own their project. So you need a champion, you need a checklist, you need a checklist so they know what they're doing and they can build and learn from it. And then they need all the support in the world. So you got to start there. Anything you initiate needs a champion, a checklist and support. Now, I'm lo- oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I love that Ernie, because you know, you're saying give it to someone not on your C level because this will just be added stress adds to the pile of work they have. But for someone, you know, and a different portion of the organization, this is new, this is vibrant, this is energetic. I'm now being asked to do something bigger to put a, my dent in this company. So I love that. Continue. Thanks. Aaron. Yeah, they will own it. And your C-level person goes to the side of the desk. They might get to it. Your, your bottom, draw your hair chart, draw a line across the middle of it. This will be the most important. This is they'll tell their family about it. They'll tell their friends about it. They'll tell their coworkers about it. And they will support each other. If you spread this out, if you put it all on one person or God forbid you put it on HR, nothing will happen. Yeah. 
you spread it out, you make sure everybody's aware of what's going on, uh, and you follow this process um, for everything you want to implement. Again, not all at once, one at a time. Okay, so all the way back to you realize that even if you even if you did a tremendous job of rolling out a new program in a town hall, you haven't told a single new team member about this program, and that over time team members as a natural course of business come and go and and the new team member goes what 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 right, right. I, no one no one told me that and you realize after 6 months that you've not not told 18 people about it depending on your you know your hire rate and so the the very next thing is how do we get this into our orientation process how do we make sure that every new team member understands the core values the way everyone in the room understands the core values so <laughs> What do you think that process looks like from a delivery standpoint? So I'm new um, and, you know, I'm watching a video or talking to an internal champion. Yeah. They, do they describe the values and tell me stories? Just walk me through it. Well, I think it depends on the size of your organization, right? If you're, if you're you know, eight to 10 people, then, then why not just have them come and hear the stories from you? Right? Right, you, right. you can give the time. That's part, yeah. of, part of your job. We were, you know, we were... Uh, uh, 250 people at the time. And so we created videos. We happen to be an ad agency, so we create our own videos, but we just created a video about each core value. Uh, and, and we, and we made it part of our orientation checklist, another whole topic we can talk about, right. To make sure that, that our team member, new team members were seeing the videos. Then as a part of that process also is, is, is in part of our orientation at, at the 60 day mark was come talk to the CEO and so it was a chance to talk about those videos, see if they had any questions, see what we had in common. So it's a reinforcement at the 60-day mark as well. Got it. So I'm, I'm visualizing this, and I love these stories. Thank you. Um, so, so you have your town hall. You've got your champion who's got your checklist, support, and that way you, know, you can um, debrief it with them. This, this also is continuity and, uh, for the business as it grows. You... You know, and then I assume you're taking a pause to say, okay, well, now that we've set the stage, we now need to make sure that those who are coming in are screened properly for yeah. our values. What, what changed in your screening process and what tools did you use to say, okay, these were our three, these were our five, let's protect this tribe? Yeah, well, we, you know, everyone, the, the, the hiring process, the, the recruiting process, you know, it's one of those things where, where do you, where do you back up to, to start? Because, right, because right. if you have the wrong culture, you will attract the wrong people and, and the whole system's a mess. It's like, it's like putting bad gas in your engine. It's just not going to run right. Yeah. But assuming things like we've got the culture, right? We've got people looking in the right direction. Um, then it starts to set you up for then attracting the right people. People say all the time, I need to go find some good people. Hey, how about creating a culture so good that good people find you? Love like that. that, that, that totally turns the situation around. So you're not, you're not out uh, amongst the weeds trying to find some beautiful grass. You're on a beautiful lawn and all the grass looks good. Right. And so you, you get to pick from the best of the best. What we did is this, and it's controversial on a couple of levels, but we said, look, we're going to turn the system around. Most companies spend a lot of time looking at resumes and then calling people and screening on that end. We said, no. This is, the, by the way, our managers hired, not HR. The, man, right. the, the team leader is the person doing the hiring. They know what they need, not HR. So the team leader says, I don't have time for this. This is how you make time for it. Every resume that comes in, you get, you get 10 seconds, 10 to 20 seconds to look at the resume. They're either in or out. 
it, you, and you fought to end. Just don't, don't worry. Just if they are, if it makes any sense at all, put them in the inbox. Okay. We're now going to invite those, that, those people in, in pods of six to 12 to group interviews. And, and we did it live, but we also learned to do it via Zoom because it works just as well. And these are for and what role, Ernie? Any role? Any role. role. Okay. You, you, I am certain that we can sit around and think about a, a few roles that this wouldn't apply, but, but 98% of the Got roles, right? It. Put them in the inbox, invite them to a group interview that's on a certain day at a certain time, give them some options, let them show up. And when they do, you bring them all in the room and you ask them a series of questions that have nothing to do with the job and nothing to do with their qualifications. There's a list of them on my website, worthdoingwrong.com forward slash resources. And you can find our absolutely mindless interview questions. And, 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 and we start with candidate number one and we go around the room with the same question. And on question two, we start with candidate number two. So everybody gets a chance to be first. Everybody gets a chance to be last. And I'm looking for not the answers to their questions. I don't care about the answers of the questions. I care about their body language. I care about how do they show respect for the other people in the room. I care about their ability to communicate. I care about the way their eyes look when other people are talking. By the way, in addition to how they treated the receptionist on the way in, how they parked, did they follow instructions, were they on time, all these things, right? From that group, it is always, and we've done hundreds of these, it's always obvious that the, the people who you want your organization will stand out. And everyone in the room, including the candidates, knows who those people are. Right. Now you've got a, a two to four person group that just saved you hours of going through resumes, mm-hmm. right, and, and calling them on the phone. You look at now you start the real interview process. Which, which I can go, I, can, I don't want to take up too much time, but now we start by going, okay, let's, let's do a one-on-one. Let's do then a team interview, and then let's do a day in the, a day in the workforce. And those Sorry, three me- screenings get you to the right person. You know, part of the interview, um, do you actually look for a specific value? So, you know, uh, one of ours is uh, relentless improvement. And so for us, we're looking for, people yeah. who want to improve our company and uh, improve themselves. And so we, we, we are kind of looking for how curious they are. Do you, do we, you guys break it down walk me through that? We do that in the last, that's the last interview with the highest, the person they're typically reporting to, or me, if it's a, if it's a, if it's an upper level position yeah. and I'm, what I'm looking for is stories of their past mm-hmm. that line up with the, our values. So stories what have you done past. in your past, but starting in high school, in college and your first job or your first three jobs, what have you done that reminds me of my values? Right. And so I'm asking about stories. I'm asking about the things that the decisions they've made in their life. Uh, I'm asking about how they've looked at, at the, when, when life served up, you know, scrambled eggs, did they make breakfast or did they wish they were at dinner? Like what, what was their mindset? And so those patterns, people, we tend as human beings not to uh, change our patterns as much as we probably wish we would. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when those patterns match up with our values, we know we're getting somewhere. Okay. Yeah. Great. And then, so let's flip over. So, so I get through this process. I'm, it's a, it's a hell of a ride. And then I, yeah. I land and it's onboarding time. I know you love onboarding. Your book is talks specifically about it and provides really good uh, material in the book worth doing wrong. Tell, tell yeah. us more about, um, about onboarding. 
again, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to leave out so many people like at the Academy Awards, I can never thank enough people. But everything I'm telling you, I learned from someone. I read it in their book. I saw it in their presentation. Uh, Jason Dorsey led a lot of my way on onboarding and how we treat people. Jason talks about the you know, generational knowledge and millennials and you know, all the, you know, how we look at people. I, I found one thing, by the way. Uh, no generation has looked at kids and not complained about them. Like I, I actually did this research myself. Like, like in the in the fifties, parents looked at the kids and all oh, these kids, kids are crazy. You know, they'll never make yeah. it rock and roll. And then in the sixties, you know, the flower children. In the seventies, they were got. You know, there's never been a generation right. that didn't look back on the kids coming through the workforce and go, "Oh, these these kids are wackos." Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And then we're yeah. now we're doing it. Now we're the old men. Go, oh, these kids are. <laughs> these kids don't know how to appreciate anything. They don't know what they're doing. So. So it's not them, it's you, right? right? It's not them, it's you. And so, and so create a process that makes them successful in your business, mm. right? It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, spite them. So what we figured out how to do is not make it their job or not make it our job to educate them. It was their job to learn about us. And so we developed an or a 60 day orientation checklist that said, Hey, Ron is in charge of this program. You go meet with Ron and learn about this program. Uh, here's the here's the topics of the things you're going to want to learn. Ron's going to give you a check mark and initial when he's talked to you, but he's not going to set the appointment. You're going to set the appointment. You're you're going to that that allows you to go get to know Ron and get to know the program, not from someone who told Ron, who Ron told who told someone who told someone who told someone. Who told someone who's not, now they're going to tell you by the water cooler. You're going to learn it from the champion of that program. Again, another reason to have multiple champions. Mm-hmm. New people make appointments with champions throughout the office. They get to know them. They get to know their programs. It's a very different learning than when I tell you about 12 things at once in in a room in an hour. Right. So you really understand the specifics of that piece of business or sec- section of the business. And so we developed this orientation checklist, which was never finished, always in development, that any time in the organization, I heard someone say, I didn't know that. Boom, we go back to the orientation checklist and we put it on there. And, and this thing ranges from massive programs like how we, how we work with clients, how we treat accounts receivable, to little things like how do you use the copier? Like, like, like how do I do the settings so that I that like, like it's little bitty things and it's great big things but it's on the orientation checklist so that I know that they will, A, someone will have to be an expert at it in the company and yep. B, they, they will have learned it because it's on their checklist right. on day 60. They bring in my company, they bring me the checklist. I review it with them, not in detail, just, you know, ask questions. What'd you like? What'd you not like? What'd you learn? What do you, what do you wish was on here? That's not, what do you, what was on here that, that uh, so you felt was a waste of time what was the most valuable. Like I just talked to them, right. And learn yeah. how to improve it, which means we improved it constantly. We, mm-hmm. we updated it. Every program had a checklist and at the bottom right hand corner of the checklist was a date, which is the date it was last updated. And we never stopped updating checklists because wow. there's always something to learn. I love that. Um, yeah, I want to dig a little more about the champions. So you, you have multiple champions in yeah. the workplace and it, it, it feels like that job is easier for a champion. If I'm now a champion and I'm bringing you into the workplace and, and coordinating your journey versus I'm a out of the gates champion. I'm, I'm rewinding a little bit, but what about the, when, when the, when the values are coming to life, when the entrepreneur or leaders are saying, okay, here's our values, here's our champion. Let's go execute, you know, and then they, they run into 
uh, cynics, you know, they run into people that, that, that are really pushing back. Yeah. What happened there and what, what does a champion do? Cause this is a new role for them. A lot of times too, they're yeah. excited and then they hit some roadblocks of people that say that this may not be for me. Yeah. Well, you know, we want our, we want our, we all want our culture to attract or, or, or repel people like either way. Right. Right. right of it's, course. It's the, it's the right culture. If it attracts some people, if it, if it just, you know, if it's okay for everyone, if it's just okay, that's the worst kind of culture. Like, so we want it to attract and repel. And so, you know, when people start pushing back on culture, but Hey, let's look at the pro let's, you know, come to, come to me. I'm in charge of culture. You Ron are in charge of your culture. Joe out there in, in, in podcast land, if you're running your company, guess what, Joe, you're in charge of your culture. You, you can't, de- you can't delegate it. You can't abdicate it. It's you. So talk about what's going wrong. Let's figure out if it's, if it's the champion, the program or the person doesn't mean go fire anybody or change right. anything drastically. Just start gathering information. The great news about having multiple champions, Ron, is they yeah. will support each other. Right. It is not one person, Darlene, who everyone hates because she did something two years ago at the party. It's a group of people that will support each other and therefore gain the herd's approval faster than any one single person. They like them more than they like you, by the way. Right. They, your team likes those champions, the people who are leading programs more than they like you, the CEO. Right. Let them do their job. Let them be heroes. Mm. You know, it's funny, Arnie, as you were just talking about, you know, a great culture attracts or repels. And that really just hit home for me because a lot of times, you know, we, we, we take a lot of pride in the culture we're building. And in some cases, we've had candidates that I think through this process, it repels them and we, we, we actually get deflated. And to your yeah. point, we should celebrate. Uh, we get deflated because we're like, Oh my God, they should want to work here. But I think we, that, that it's done its job. People have through some part of that interview process have said, you know, it's not for me. It did its job. I'm really, I, I love that you said that. I feel really good now. Oh yeah. I, I'm sure, Brian, I feel like it was on an earlier podcast. I listened to you that, that someone talked about one bad nut. Was that right. your podcast? What, what, right. One bad nut can make, if you have a handful of nuts and one is bad, it makes a whole handful taste terrible. Like, one bad person in your organization can be so painful. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget that saying. Uh, and I loved it. So the same thing here, I'd rather have a culture that drives out that bad, that, that bad nut than a culture that allows them just to hang out with us because right. it's so painful. And so once someone gets there, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of folks talk about if I'm going to thrive in, in, if I'm an employee and I'm going to thrive in culture, I need to have trust. I need to, I need to feel that I trust everybody. Yeah. And so we talk a lot about building relationships and building trust, you know, so even if I've been screened, I've been onboarding, onboarded properly, tell me more about how do you create trust? How do you get me to a place that I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm going to trust this organization? How do you build relationships? What's some of the best things that you've done or seen? You know, that is, uh, Part of me wants to give you uh, a really easy answer. And, and the other one says, man, there's volumes on, you know, why people trust or don't trust, but, yep. but here's how we handled it in our organization. Yeah, we define, first we define trust. We said, what does trust mean? Cause it means something different to everyone. If you ask 10 different people, they're going to give you right. 10 different definitions. Right. Let's define trust and make sure that we're all using the same definition. And for us, it was trust meant that I believe that the people or the team members around me are working to make me a better person that everyone around me 
is yeah. working to make me a better person. They're not criticizing me because they don't like me. They're not criticizing because they're trying to hold me down. They want me to be successful, which means, Ron, that, that, that you come in every day working to make your team members successful. And if you believe that everyone around you is there to make you successful, you hear criticism in a different way. You get less mad when something doesn't go your way or when someone's blocked, you, you see someone is blocking your, your way. You, you don't see it as they're trying to hurt you. You, you realize the team is there to help you. Now, it, this is one of those community things. If 25 or 40% of your team members aren't there to help others be successful, then you'll never reach it. Like it's right. just too many bad nuts in your, in your pile. Right. But if everyone comes to work every day and says, hey, my job is to make people around me better, then, then that momentum, like, you know, leadership is contagious. Trust is contagious. And mm-hmm. it, it, it had helped us create a higher feeling of trust in the organization. Now, there's so many things that have to align with that, right? The, the truth, I have to speak the truth as the CEO. Uh, we have to, we have to do, we have to make decisions based on our core values. We have to, we have to care, protect and support our team members outrageously to bar your word. Like we have to create remarkable stories about how we support our team so that they support our clients. Like we have to do the right things. Mm. And it starts with people coming to work saying, I'm here to make the people around me better. It's, it's interesting. You know, it's something else I'm thinking about as you're talking is, stories, you know, people, human beings trust stories. If so, if I, if I hear a story about something, I'm more apt to trust whatever the point behind that story is. And someone just speaks it down my throat, you know, um, yeah. stories interesting. are, yeah, we tell stories all the time. We just told, why are these your core values? Here's the stories. Uh, what, how do we treat clients? Here's the stories. Uh, one of my favorite, uh, just to geek out on you, man, one of my favorite Star Trek episodes was he, oh he encountered. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> he encountered a race of people who only spoke in parables and stories like that. They couldn't communicate any other way. They would just tell a story and you have, you have to figure out what the story means. I feel and like I, that's what my, uh, my team says about me. They're like, I have no idea. Ron is just telling stories. I don't even know what he's saying. That's all right. If they're consistent, right? Like, in, in, if they're consistent and 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 uh, they line up, they align with what what your values and what you're tra- where you're trying to go, then stories will get you there. I love stories. Right. Well, uh, I want to flip to uh, learning and building a culture of learning. I know that's critically important to you because, and I know some of your stories, which I'd like you to tell, and I know you've built a business based on that to help others build a culture of learning. Right. Talk to me about that and, and, and go to ground zero. When did you get to a place that, that was at the next phase where you're like, okay, I've got a culture now, but this is the next phase. We need to now constantly learn and here's how we're going to implement. Go, go back in time. Well, you know, I, I went to an average public institution for college and, and I, you know, worked for companies who, who, you know, theoretically knew the way. Uh, and then I started my, I got fired like many of us have, and I started my own company and I just started doing things the way I thought they were supposed to be done. But many, most times I was wrong. Most times I was wrong. The right ways I discovered through books. I would read a book and go, that's interesting, right? I would read a business book about how to do a certain thing from an author I respected. And I learned from that. And not everything worked. And you, you know, you, sometimes you forget 80% of the book, but 20% of the book sticks with you forever. So for me, that's how I learned. And it, and it hit me about eight or 10 years into my uh, existence as a business person as I started to realize that, that the, 
if I wanted a, a better culture, it was me, is that I need others to be smarter than me. Like I didn't need to be the boss. I right. need to be the leader, which is yeah, very yeah, different. Yeah. Very different. The and, so, and so I wanted them to learn as, as one of my cl- great clients told me, Arnie, this, we're a great match and I can't wait to work with you, but I'm going to grow. And if you don't grow, I will fire you. And I'm telling you that right now. It don't, it's wow. not personal. You have to grow or I will fire you. What's well, the same thing with our team members. We're, we're there to, we're going to grow our businesses. If our team members don't grow, we have to fire them. So instead let's create a system that helps them grow. And for me, books more than conferences, which cost a much and take cost a lot and take a lot of time more than higher, uh, you know, formal education, which is, I'm not knocking it, but it's not, it's not where I learned to run a business. Yeah. Business books teach people lots of things. And so my big thing, and I'll just, I'll leave it at this is we pay people to read. We paid people to read books and we created a system Help us to help us see that, acknowledge that, recognize and reward that. It's called Better Book Club. Our concept is betterbookclub.com. And the, the, the practice of it is the more you read, the more you'll learn. And I don't right. care whether you read two books a year or you read 20 books a year. If you read, you'll learn. And so that's, that's our big thing. And I found it interesting because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but back when you had implemented this at the ground level, and I know it was successful, but it, they didn't have to read. If they were in HR, it wasn't an HR book. You didn't, you, uh, didn't, you didn't put them in a box of, they could read Harry Potter if they wanted to. Tell me more about what, what, what yeah. did that look like? I'll define it as this, and we do it all the time. Any, books that, any book that makes you a better human being, a better parent, a better spouse, better with your finances, have less anxiety, makes you healthier, makes you think clearer. Now we'll get into leadership and more, uh, you know, uh, you know, specific books, but I'm not going to tell you what to read. That's the biggest mistake we make as bosses is we go read a book and we go, Oh, this is great. I'm going to buy 20 copies. I'm going to hand it out and we're going to talk about it in three weeks. And the rest of your staff goes, okay, but they don't want to. Right. A third of your staff reads it because that's who they are. A third of your staff doesn't because that's who they are. And a third of your staff skims it. And everyone hates everybody, right? The people who read it hate the people that didn't. The people that didn't hate the people that did. And no one likes the people who cheated and skimmed it. And now they're going to listen to you talk about the book for an hour and go back to their desk and say, please don't let that happen again. That kind of book club works twice or three times. And then the boss wakes up in three years and says, hey, what happened to our book club? No, that's right. Because no one wanted to be there. You don't, told don't them want to be force fed. No, yeah. they're not there. You read a book and it was great for you, but it's not great for them. People say, tell me a book to read. Tell me what you want to learn. Like, that's there's, a great question. There's thousands of books. I, I've, I've, I've read 284. I don't know what you haven't read and I don't know what you want to learn. Tell me that and I'll make a suggestion. Otherwise, what I just read is not the book for you in most cases. Right. And just quickly, out of the 284, is it 274 because you've read Outrageous Empowerment, my book, 10 times? I, I, look, your book is fabulous, right? And, I, and, <laughs> and, and, and what's crazy is what we learn. Like, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. When we read a book, if, we, if you read it today, you'll learn three things. But if you read it two years from now, you'll learn three other things. Right. It's, it's, it's what's there for you in the time your brain is ready for it. And it's the same for our team members, mm-hmm. let them read what makes them better human beings, which makes them better team members, which makes you a better company. <laughs> Pay them to do it. A hundred books to read good to great or outrageous empowerment makes a lot more sense than 3,800 bucks to send them to a conference that they're going to drink away. Most of they learned every night. Anyway, love that. I love and that. Better and so- book club 
helps you do all of that within your company. Thanks, Arnie. And I love your commitment to, to you know, not just figuring something out and, and uh, internally with your own business and then extending to others to help them. So I love that. Um, just the last piece of that, once they've done that, is there an opportunity once a month where they share learning or, or not? Yeah. Depends on the size of your company, but it could be once a month. It could be once a quarter. But the folks who have completed their books, who've who've answered a few really easy questions. It's not a book report. It's more of a book review. Like here's what I learned. I'm together. And it's not, we're not going to talk about the same book. We're all going to talk about the book we read. We're going to spend five minutes, not more, not less, talking about the book we read and what we learned. That means the team's going to learn about each other, how we think, how each other uh, interprets information, uh, what books I might want to read because I hear John talking about it. So it's a different kind of book club meeting. Yeah. If we all get together and talk about the same book. That I mean, that can work. It's interesting. Maybe we can we can sort of come, but it's we found it to be even more interesting is when eight or twelve people get together and talk about different books. It is a much broader learning mm-hmm. experience that's team building, that cross-departmentally people Ooh, get together. It, 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 it opens windows into things they couldn't see before, right? We, no one in their industry figures out the breakthrough. It's always someone outside the industry. Right. This helps, this helps seed that, that, that soil. Love that. Uh, Ernie, I want to end things off. You know, we're doing this during a international global pandemic. What do you think are some of the key key piece of advice for leaders to keep their culture, um, you know, in line now to strengthen culture. Now, what do you, what yeah. do you think we should be doing thinking about? Well, I, I don't think what I'm going to say is going to surprise anybody. The question is, are they actually doing it right? Or are, are, are you, are you being the boss you intend to be, or are you being the boss you should be, uh, excuse me, leader, uh, uh, communicate, communicate, communicate. You know, you have to be talking to your team about where you want, where you see the world, where you, where you want to go. Uh, you have to care about your team. If you don't care about your team, they will not care about you. How leaders treat their team during this period will define their success over the next five years uh, or longer or the rest of their company lives. Yeah. Uh, and it works both ways. Uh, listen, have, if, you know, we had systems so that we could listen to our people, that they could tell us what they were thinking. If you don't, uh, I'm not saying go change everything, but think about how a system would help you hear, not just hear from you, but that you can hear from your team. And so it's all about communication. It's all about how you treat your people. Uh, those that survive this valley will thrive. I'm love, absolutely convinced of that. Those that don't, you know, it will be a calling period for some businesses, uh, but you can't just say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to curl up in a ball and survive. Those that are surviving best right now, they hey, maybe maybe this played right into their sweet spot, their their wheelhouse. But others, so many companies are pivoting towards success. They're yeah. finding a way, and that doesn't happen in your head. It happens by going out and talking to people, figuring out what they need, what they want, talking to your team, letting them weigh in on what possibilities are. Open your mind to the possibilities. Don't close your mind to fear. You can learn more about Arnie and his best-selling book, Worth Doing Wrong, at worthdoingwrong.com. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, we would appreciate if you shared, subscribed, and rated the Scaling Culture podcast wherever you're listening today. We'll be back soon with another great guest. Thanks for listening.